Hey friends, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Shannon Leibold, and I'm here with my co-host Lynn Martin, and we're so glad you've joined us. This is a podcast for the women of Wallenstein Bible Chapel and beyond. It's a space where we celebrate how God is turning brokenness into beauty. Each week, we chat with a guest and share stories from our own lives. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece, His work of art, and He's shaping us into something beautiful in Christ. Welcome to episode 29 of the Mosaic Podcast. I am your host, Lynn. And I'm Shannon. And we're, again, so honored and excited that you are taking time out of your schedule to listen in and um, just join us in this conversation. We are starting a brand new series today. We have, again, gotten really creative with the name, and we're just going with the name of the book, which is called Fix Your Eyes. Um, that's the book that we're going to be reading by Amy Gannett, How to Our Study of God Shapes Our Worship of Him. We're going to talk about that a little bit more um, in a couple of minutes. But um, before we do that, I just want to let you know today we are really thrilled to have Jesenia Espinoza as our guest. Many of you will know her as Jesenia Bauman, but she is um, married. And as, as this, as we are recording, she is expecting her second baby mm-hmm. um and so we're just so thrilled that she's home visiting from ecuador and um really looking forward to that conversation so we have lots that we're going to cover um but we wanted to take just a couple of minutes we thought this this series that we're doing is actually going to be eight is that right shannon i think so yes eight eight episodes long and um so for this time you know we are we're still dealing with COVID. We, we don't even want to talk about it. I think we're all tired of it. We don't want to think about it. And, and we have, we have some wounds that we're carrying. And, um, I think it's fair to say we're all carrying wounds of different kinds that are a direct result of, um, how our lives have been shaped and, and changed in the last two years. And I don't want to minimize that in any way, but we want to redeem that. Mm-hmm. And so we thought it would be fun in this little intro time just to talk a little bit about things that have happened that are a direct result of COVID that we are really grateful for. Yes, <laughs> because there are things when and you start thinking about it. There are things, and, and they take some work, some of them, yeah, <laughs> to think about, because why is it that it's so much easier to think of the negative? Like, they, they come right in our face, and we just, um, we're very aware of those, but... Um, we, we know, studies tell us how important it is to think about those things that are, are good and, and things that we have to be grateful for. So, Shannon, um, any thoughts on that? Where are you at with that? Yeah, so I guess the, the first thing, and we chatted about this, Lynn and I, before we pressed record, is that this podcast is yeah. a direct result of COVID. Yeah. Uh, because we, as a women's ministry team, were, were brainstorming and trying to think about how we could connect women uh, when we couldn't meet together yeah. face-to-face. And so we thought, why not create a space where you can hear voices, where you can be invited into a conversation, you can uh, learn about different women at WBC, and what better platform would there to be but a podcast. So that's how 
this podcast was born. It's so true. And, and, you know, I think it's, I actually think it's really important to point out that there was a, a real, um, at least for me, a weariness, uh, a feeling of what can we do because things we had tried was, were not working and we would try one thing and then we would, you know, for, um, good reason to told, okay, no, actually we can't do that. And, um, so this was birthed out of a, a deep, maybe resignation almost, a deep, um, I don't know what to do. Hands up, God, I give up. <laughs> right? And and, and that and we know life is about giving up and giving it over to God, but we yeah. fight it, don't yes, we? Yes, we do. So, so yeah, I, that, I think that's a really good one to, to uh, just take that moment and think about, like, yeah, that's, it's such yeah. a good thing. Beauty from Ashes. Beauty from Ashes. That's what the whole ep- Mosaic podcast is about. And um, we're just so excited that there are people still listening and, and we're hearing good things that people are um, tuning in. And it, it really is quite overwhelming. But all right. We are going to dig in to our book. We're going to dig into this conversation. I, if, if, um, if you're interested in knowing this, it doesn't really matter, but I'm not a huge fan of alliteration all the time when it comes to um, things. So this morning when we were getting ready to do this podcast and I was thinking the book is called Fix Your Eyes. Well, we just finished Find Your People. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're doing Fix Your Eyes. And I thought that was really cool, which is not something I... And really I believe. love alliteration, <laughs> so it just makes me happy. Well, and you're not alone. Many, many people love alliteration. And I like it to a point, but um, anyway, I just think this is so cool. Fix your eyes. Um, and we are... Let me really be clear and say we are not... Um, dropping find your people that's still i'm carrying that like we're not finished that now we're on to the next thing um community is is really what we're about and it's what um it's just so important so so important so we're carrying that along and and now today we're going to start talking about really about theology Mm -hmm. about our understanding of who god is and this is uh, I can, I can he- already see, hear people and see people thinking, whoa, what are they doing? <laughs> it sounds heavy. It sounds heavy. It, um, well, I mean, you add ology to any word and it sounds scary, don't you think? That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and that's what this is. You know, a study of ology, a study of theo, God, right? Right, right. Um, so, so that's just basically what we're talking about is what we know and believe about God. Right. And we are going to do this gently. There are eight chapters in this book and we're going to take eight podcasts to do this because, um, and, and we're not going to cover everything. And, and the, the point of the study of God is that you can't actually plumb the depths. We cannot actually understand God. Mm-hmm. So, so we are already coming at this knowing that we failed before we start. But we're going to go deeper and it's going to be really good. And we're praying that for you. And as we at, just start talking about this book, I want to... Um, this picture came to mind. I want to just um, try to see if I can and give it to you as a vision, as a something to think about. Um, I was told this, I think, in, in my teen years, but uh, if you could imagine a dusty shed, which you probably have been in lately as you've been cleaning up from spring, 
and, and winter and um, a dusty, dusty shed and there's cracks coming through the shed. So you can see sunlight a little bit, but all you really see is dust molecules all in the room. So imagine that dusty, dusty room. But then if you walk in and you actually just turn and stare into one of those cracks, all you see is sunlight and brightness. And that's what we're trying to do. And that's what this book is going to try and do. Let's, let's spend some time looking right into the light and, mm -hmm. and then not see all those dusty cracks. Mm, that's good. That's really good. So <clears throat> the introduction to this is just as important as chapter one. So when I said we're only going to do one chapter uh, a session, we're going to go a little deeper here this first time because we're going to talk about the introduction, which is called The Necessary Marriage of Theology and Worship. So let's talk about that, Shannon. Um, mm. What stood out to you in this chapter? Yeah, before we before we jump in and talk sure. about uh, theology and worship and, and how important one is to the other, because I think we need to, to lay that foundation. Yeah. Um, I just want to back up a little bit and and talk about theology because theology is the human pursuit to know God. And so all of us have a theology. Mm -hmm. All of us have uh, what we think and what we know about God. And um, some of us have a correct theology. Some of us have a theology that needs a little bit of tweaking. I, I know I do. Probably we all have. Would, yeah. you, would you say it's fair? I don't know. I don't think anyone has it fully figured out. Yeah. For we, sure. We can't. We can't no. ever fully figure God out. But I just think um, when we talk about theology, theology is conversations about God. And and God is, is sovereign over every aspect of our life. And so I just love the picture that our that God should show up in every conversation about mm -hmm. everything because he's in everything. And he, he has... Um, influence over everything and and we need to invite him into every aspect of our lives and so i think it's really important that we that our conversations reflect what we know and what we believe about god right and the reality is they do but we just maybe aren't always conscious of it we might not be thinking about it right but, but it it comes out uh, like out of out of out of us comes our our words and our beliefs and um yeah, she says um, that the set of beliefs that we have about God, they form and inform a thousand tiny decisions we make every day. Mm -hmm. And they underline one great big reality in our lives, what we make of God. So the stakes are really high in this. We need to understand mm -hmm. who God is. Yeah, and we need, our theology needs to be reflective about what the scriptures proclaim about him from Genesis to Revelation. You know, do does our theology agree with what scripture says? Yeah, because it's so easy to um, base our thoughts on who God is just on what others have said or mm -hmm. um, maybe our, our we have someone in authority in our lives. And so however our perception is of that person, that can then reflect on, okay, that must be what God is like. And that could yeah. be completely incorrect. It could be. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, it's so, so important. And, and then as well as that, we can't love what we don't know. Mm -hmm. She says that. And, and Jen Wilkin puts it a different way. She says, uh, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Uh, but it's but the, the same, same truth, yeah, um, and that's true. So you know we need to know God in order to love Him, yeah, and and it should be a lifelong pursuit of 
of wanting to know God better and better every day. And and there should be excitement in knowing we can't ever actually know. Yeah, that's so what there, makes God God. Yes, exactly. If we could fully understand him, then he wouldn't be God. Right. So we're going to talk about some things as we go through this that will not make sense to our human brains, but we're going to try to um, just go hopefully just give you a taste to want to know something more. If, if we achieve that, then I think we uh, will feel that we've succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, go go ahead. So we, we've talked a little bit about theology. Now let's talk about worship. Yes. Um, and, and then we'll talk about how the two need to go together. But whatever, whatever it is that holds the highest um, place of affection in our hearts is the object of our worship. And we are going to, she says, we're going to wrap our lives around it. We're going to wrap our behavior around it. We're going to um, change the, the course of our lives to honor that thing. And so um, worship is important. And for the Christian, our life, our whole lives are to be centered around the worship of God. He is to have our highest affections and um and, and so that shapes us. Our worship shapes us. And I think, I don't think she says this, but I think it's important to point out at this point that we actually, the way our DNA is, we do worship. Mm-hmm. It's just what or who do we worship that is our something we have to decide. But we naturally worship something. Mm-hmm. We, we, are, we are not lone beings that just go about our own way. We are, always, we are worshiping something. We are worshipful creatures. We, we are. We are. Yeah, that's true. Um, so then she... So the, the whole basis of this book is talking about the, the, well, necessary marriage of theology and worship, how the two go hand in hand, and we can't have one without the other. And when we, when we emphasize theology or our study of God, we diminish doxology, which is our worship of God. Um, and we're, you know, more concerned about getting things right and, and having intellectual um, information about God um, because we're not allowing um, that, that knowledge of God to, to transform our lives. And so we can't emphasize theology over worship, but the other is true as well, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And I think we could all think of, um, like, it's, it's unfortunate, but our churches. Um, seem to have sort of separated. And so you can think of a church that is very, very worshipful, and you can think of churches that are very, very theology-based, mm-hmm. and and they need to come together. Mm-hmm. And when there's they're just worshipful, it's beautiful, except that they might not be based in truth. Mm-hmm. And then the problem with so those who are just really, really deeply entrenched in theology and not worshipful is that it, it tends to bring some really ugly things to the surface, mm-hmm. like pride and... Um, smugness and this sense of I know better than anyone else Mm -hmm. Um, so those two things have to marry yeah yeah and that's that's really the the basis of this whole book that we're going to discuss yeah she says when knowledge of God and worship of him work together as God designed we will be Christians who know God and who love him who learn about him and respond to what we're learning in worship, who do the hard work of studying the scriptures that we might understand God as he's revealed himself and fall on our knees and surrender and affection before the God of the Bible. So you can see there how it's those, again, theology and worship are joined. We will do both. 
So like she says, as she ends this introduction, that the attempt of this book is to help us bridge the gap between our doctrine and our discipleship, mm -hmm. between our theology and our worship, between what we say we believe about God and what our lives actually look like. Mm. So this is for you. Whoever is listening, this is for you. Um, you're going to be changed if you ask God to show you more of him. Mm -hmm. So we're going to now, we're going to, dive into chapter one and and as we do that I want to point out I told you that we're going to go light we're going to just do one chapter uh, an episode and we, that is what we're doing but I want you to know that each chapter in the in this book volumes have been written yes <laughs> on the, the topics of each of each thing so we are really skimming the surface here and and I guess that makes sense when you think about you can't plumb the depths of God. Mm -hmm. And so people have tried, and, and, and it's beautiful that they have tried to wrestle with God and figure out who he is. But that means there's a lot of material out there. So this first chapter is called Theology Proper, Worshipping the God Who Is. So who is God? What do we understand about him? What, um, what do we know about him? And, and down through um, time, as, as scholars have looked at this, they have come up with names and titles for different characteristics of God. Mm -hmm. um, one thing she says in the book here is that if theology is a map that is leading us somewhere, then the doctrine of God is the boundary lines of that map. So, so we are, are looking at that map and everything we will learn and every question we will ask flows from what we believe about God. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing is we have a God who desires to be known. Yeah. He, he loves to reveal himself to us, you know, through creation in his word. Uh, he's, he's not withholding himself from us. And so our, our pursuit of God will be met with, with a, a revelation we'll be blessed for it because yeah. he will he will show us yeah so we're gonna quickly i, I say quickly and um because we don't have a lot of time but we're gonna um lay out the different attributes that she uh points out or presents in this book and she she's very very clear to say that these are just some of them it's not all of them it's not comprehensive but she she does them she divides them into two categories so there's what they call we're, I should also say all these little introductions. We're going to talk about. We're going to use some big words, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're not they're not um, scary words. They're just they help to define things. And so we're going to do a lot of defining. But um, words are beautiful because they help us to understand things. And sometimes our understanding of a word is incorrect. So the words I'm talking about right now are communicable and incommunicable. So basically you've got those characteristics mm -hmm. or attributes of God that we cannot, we are not ever going to be like as mm -hmm. human beings. But then there are some attributes that God has, you know, we were made in the image of God. So he has, he has um, transferred some of those attributes to us and they're not things that we, uh, it doesn't mean we'll be perfect in them like God is, but they are, they are some, uh, there are things that we could have. So first let's talk about the incommunicable ones. So the incommunicable attributes of God are those that he does not share with us. Right. And the communicable attributes are those that he does share with us. So yes, the first incommunicable attribute is God is infinite. Mm 
-hmm. He has no limits. He has no constraints. He can't be weighed or measured. In his being and his essence, he is endless. And and he is beyond our greatest thoughts. Mm -hmm. So this, this again shows we will not understand this. He's beyond us. Mm -hmm. The next uh, incommunicable attribute is God is incomprehensible. He is beyond our human comprehension. There's none like him. He's unfathomable in his nature, inscrutable in his knowledge, and incomprehensible in his work, which is exactly just what what Lynn was saying. And and it's important to point out, though, it, um, she points it out here, and she's quoting Jen Wilkin, actually, but she says, um, God cannot be fully known, and just because that's true, it doesn't mean he cannot be sufficiently known. Mm-hmm. So so we can know him, and, and the beauty of it is that God is so gracious in not showing him all of himself because we'd be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And and so he just shows us little bits piece by piece that we can handle. And um, yeah. So so the next one is, I don't even know if I can say it right, a seity. Is that how you say it? Yeah, a seity. Yeah. A seity. So, and that is that God relies on no one and nothing. He he doesn't need anyone. He is self-sufficient. He is self-existent. He is wholly other than um, than than it than us. The next attribute is um, two together, uh, immutable and impassable. God does not change. That's what his immutability means. Who he is in his nature, his character, and his essence is eternally the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his impassibility kind of works in tandem with his immutability, big words. Um, So... Well, his immutability speaks to the big picture conversation about God's unchangeability. His impassibility sets him apart from humans when it comes to our proclivity to change in response to our daily circumstances. So, in other words, God's not given over to his his passions. His emotions don't ride a roller coaster. He's he he doesn't have temper tantrums. He is eternally. Um, emotionally the same. Yeah. It doesn't mean he doesn't have emotion. Right. But but it means that we're not going to catch him off guard and he, he's not going to throw a little hissy fit on us. Yeah. It, it's going to be, he he is who he is. That is beyond me. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not the same person uh, at night as I am in the morning, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let alone um, based on, you know, levels of sleep <laughs> yeah. and food and circumstances. All of those things. So, and okay, so then the fifth one here is that God is omnipotent, which means, so we got two omni words here. Omni just means all, and potent is powerful. So he is all powerful. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing he can't handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are scripture to back up all of these things, and we're not kind of diving into those, but but rest assured that there are, and um, because we're not just making this up. And I think that's so important. This is all grounded in scripture. Mm -hmm. And then God is omniscient. So that means he is all knowing, all knowledge belongs to him and originates with him. And, um, and then there's a third. Oh, there's a third one. Yes. Look at that. Another omni. And that is omnipresent because there is nowhere that God is not present. He is, he is right here with us as we are sitting in this room and, and speaking to you, he is with you where you are. Um, again, t- 
totally cannot understand that. Uh, but like the psalm says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Mm-hmm. You are there. And then God is sovereign. So his lordship extends into all areas of the universe. There is no place where God does not possess total and right authority and rule. So those are just eight of his incommunicable attributes. So everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> and say, I am not God. (laughs) Yes, I am not God. I am none of those things. Mm -hmm. And and yet, they are all true of him. And and so we're going to take another minute here and talk about his his communicable attributes. But I want to ask you, did any of those eight sort of jump out at you as, I didn't know that, or... I forgot about that, or how can that be? Just think, were one of those eight um, attributes something that you want to dig a little deeper, you want to know a little bit more about him? And I encourage you to dive deep in that. And and, um, we are glossing over this quickly, like I said, but we're hoping to give you a taste for wanting to know more. So then we come, like I said, to his communicable attributes. And... um, the beauty of these is that these are things that we can understand a little bit more because um, they're a little more tangible, I guess. But also keep in mind that even though as these are true and they're true together, they're also true with his other, his incommunicable attributes. So they're all true. So it's not like he can be sovereign, but not omniscient. He's both of those things. If that makes sense. So anyway, let's dig into this one. So what's the first one here? God is holy. God possesses absolute moral purity. He is perfectly perfect in his nature, will, ways, and character. And so again, this is a communicable attribute. This is one that that um, we share with God because he calls us to be holy as he is holy. And at the same time, knowing that we won't succeed. And that's why Christ came and and then his holiness actually covers us because we will not succeed at being perfectly holy on earth, but we we are called to to still strive for that. The next one is just a it's it's beautiful. This this he's good. He's mm-hmm. just good. And and we don't mean good by the uh, our own definition of what we think is good. It it's a he is He's the only standard for moral purity. Mm-hmm. It's a goodness that's deep and profound, and and that is who he is. Um, he, everything he does and is, it fits that goodness. So even even at the same time that he is holy and sovereign and, and all-knowing, he's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next one is God is truthful. God is perfectly honest and trustworthy everything he says will come to pass and he himself is the origin of truth and in a culture where truth is being questioned it's so good to know that 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 there is truth absolute truth yep she she actually says in here there's there's nothing that weakens an objectively powerful word like truth like putting the word your in front of it Hmm. so there's no such thing as my truth there's no such thing as shannon's truth there is truth Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth. Mm -hmm. That's where we get our standard for truth. Next. Go ahead. The next one is just. God is the standard of fairness and equity. There is no impartiality in him. He is perfectly just. 
And and that one is hard to take because that can be a little scary, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, because I don't measure up. Yeah. But then the next attribute, just to my brain, how can these go together? How can they both be true? But they are because he's also merciful and he has extended mercy to us. We do not deserve anything, any any joy, anything at all. And yet God in his mercy has extended that to us. And then God is loving. He's infinitely benevolent toward his people. God's heart of love stirs for his people, desiring to bestow upon them both physical and spiritual benefits, the chief of which is Jesus Christ. And and along with that, he is faithful. We, we know that um, it doesn't matter what, what we do, how we can let God down. He is going to be faithful. Mm-hmm. He's going to be steadfast with us. Mm-hmm. And then he is wise. Um, he's wise in all of his ways. He's established, you know, the order for creation um, in wisdom and uh, his goodwill toward mankind originates in his wise character. So he's infinitely wise. And again, he calls us to be wise as well. So that is, I believe, 16 attributes of God that we have just like skimmed over, hardly touching. Um, but Shannon, I want to ask you and I want to ask those who are listening, is there one of those that just jumped out to you that you want to know a little bit more about or just spoke to you in a way that um, is is deep to you? Hmm. I, The one that stands out to me is that God is faithful. I just, hmm. um, there are so many ups and downs in life and, and we can just rest our whole selves. We can lean into the everlasting arms because he's completely trustworthy regardless of what's happening around you god is completely and perfectly trustworthy and he's faithful what he says he will do he will do and that that gives me confidence that's good i love that and for me it's truth that god is truth i feel like so increasingly there is so much information and there is so much um so many people talking and so many people saying things that are contrary to one another. And, and there is so much that is not true mm-hmm. that is being said. And so for me, it's that I feel so much rest in just knowing that God is truth. Because when I can be confused, I cannot know maybe what decision to make on something, but I know God knows and I can just rest in that. And that brings me a great deal of comfort. So what's the point of all this? What, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little afraid that we have just like trapped or put the fire hose to you and just like attacked you with this. There is a point. The point is, like she says in the book, you have been invited to lunch with your dad. Your dad wants to sit with you and commune with you and share himself with you. So as we close off and and, um, step into this book, we are praying that that is what happens. We are so excited to have Jacenia. Bauman Espinoza, is that how you say it? Espinoza. Espinoza today. And um, 
for those who know her and love her, she goes by Jessie, so we might go back and forth between Jessenia and Jessie. But we are so happy to have you here today, Jessie. You are about to have a baby as we record, and when the, by the time this show drops, you will be holding that baby in your arms. I was arms. thinking about that. <laughs> like, That's cool. That's a really neat thought. That's really uh-huh. cool, because at this stage, how are you feeling with your pregnancy? I'm ready for it to be done. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to get through all Which the pain. Which yeah. normal at this stage, Very for sure. normal. So we're so glad that you have made time for us. I know it must be so busy. You are um, living in Ecuador, and you are home to have this baby. You're home with Raul and your uh, son, Tiago. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we just want to, this is going to be a very different interview uh, discussion because we just want to meet you where you are. So please tell us about yourself. Yeah. So, um, like you said, my name is Jessenia. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've been part of Wallenstein my whole life, but haven't really been around that much, which sounds funny. Um, I grew up as a missionary kid in Mexico. Uh, my parents were sent out from Wallenstein. Their names are Irvin and Shirley Bauman. So I grew up far away, but every four years we'd come back for a year and okay. spend it around here. Um, what a very different childhood. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was very different, but um, when I look back on it, I wouldn't have changed it for anything. It was very exciting and very different and has given me an outlook on life uh, that's a bit more maybe multicultural and definitely a bigger perspective yeah and I love traveling doesn't. love cultures love people from different countries so that's been really good um, yeah and then I came back to Canada for university um, did that here at Wilfrid Laurier and spent time getting more connected with Wallenstein and, and at that point your parents were here is yes, that correct yeah they had moved back then okay and I studied global studies and Spanish because I still, I had missions on my mind, wanted to do something overseas. It's really hard sometimes for missionary kids to plant roots right. in a specific place. So I still, my heart was in Latin America and I wanted to go back. So when I finished university, my cousin, Becky Martin, who goes to Woodside, yeah. she had been working at a school in Ecuador called Hope of Bastion. And she needed help with the sponsorship program, so she was on my case to come down, come down, and I was like, no, I'm just getting out of university, and in the back of my mind, I was like, I really want to get married first before going on the mission field. (laughs) And there was no one in the wings at that point. No, nobody. Nobody had come along. So finally, I came to the realization that I was like, well, I can't just wait and wait. I need to just go if that's what I've been wanting to do anyways, whether there's a man with me or not. (laughs) And um, so I went to Ecuador, and as soon as I got there, I was like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, Um, I felt very at home with the people. I already knew the language and loved the work, loved the kids at the school. And then two years in, I met Raul. And or no, I already knew him, but we started dating. <laughs> um, and then two years later, we got married. And was he involved with the school at that point as yes, well? Yes, okay. he was. So he has been working at the school for more than 10 years now, I oh, think. Oh, wow. And what does he do there? He is the tech guy and the computer teacher. Okay. okay. He says he started out, I think, as a janitor <laughs> and then kind of had different different roles at the school. And so he's gone 
to being like the tech guy and the computer teacher, and now he's phasing out of that into his role as president now of the school board. Okay. Um, so yeah, we're very involved in that. And what do you do there? I help with the sponsorship program. Okay. So that means I'm connecting people from North America, Canada, and U.S. mainly with uh, students, individual students in the school, and I kind of try to make. <laughs> I'm kind of the bridge to try to make it a personal relationship. So um, sponsors can write letters to their sponsor child, and the sponsor child writes letters back, and I'm the translator in between that, oh, kind of the facilitator. That's that. a lot of work. That's yes. a really fun job. <laughs> yeah, so really it is. Interesting. It really is. I love translating. Um, there are 200 students, though, so it becomes... A lot of work. <laughs> and are all 200 students, if they're there, does that mean they're sponsored? Is that how it no, works? No, no. Okay. We have about 40 who are not sponsored right okay. now. Um, so a child can come and they get the same they get the same treatment whether they're sponsored or not. The only thing is whether or not they have to write letters to their sponsor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there are funds that help to get them there. Yeah. There's some people who, spo- who like support the school even though... They're not actual sponsors. And, um, yeah, we do have deficits in our budget. But um, so far it's been okay. (laughs) And do the kids... I'm sorry. Well, this is just interesting. I think it's important to share this. So the kids, um, do they enjoy having a sponsor like do they enjoy that communication they do yeah a lot of them the word we actually use a different word in spanish for sponsor um because and we use the word for godparent because in the latin culture the word for sponsor just sounds way too cold for what we're actually doing okay um but if we use godparent in english for the sponsors then people are like whoa i don't want to do that Yeah. yeah um but yeah so the kids actually feel like their sponsors are kind of part of their life and yeah. um, see them as the godparent role, which is still um, kind of part of life in Ecuador. Yeah. Well, can we so, take a minute and talk about that? Mm-hmm. Like what's involved in being a sponsor? Sure. Yeah. So it's $75 a month and that goes to like kind of help cover what would be their tuition. Um, and it all goes into a general fund that then the school administrates for its needs. So like paying the teachers, um, their salaries and their benefits, and um, just like the general maintenance of the school and some of the costs of like materials and books and stuff that the kids have. Mm -hmm. And then, so it's kind of basically being a sponsor is like you're helping the school be able to function as a school because we don't get funds from anywhere else. Like we don't, we don't get funds from governments and, and businesses and stuff like that. It's just like basically just sponsorship and individuals who are wanting to help the school function. And then we have the sponsorship, like the personal side of it is because we really believe it's important for these kids to have interactions with people who love them and care for them, especially from a Christian standpoint. Because I would say, I would say at least half of the families, if not more, who come to our school are not Christian. Or if they are, it's a very shallow Um, not very deep, just kind of like, I believe in God and Jesus and God bless you, (laughs) that type of thing, but not like living it out in their life. So for a lot of these kids, it might be their only like real deep Christian interaction that they get. And a lot of them too come from homes where if it's not inside their home, then it's like around them that they're always seeing drugs. 
They're always seeing gang activity, um, teen pregnancies all the time. So any type of like really healthy relationship that they can have, I think is really helpful. Really good. Uh-huh. And just like showing them that there's a different way to live. <laughs> right. Because I think like when you're just surrounded by this is just normal to get pregnant at 15. Right. And you don't have any other like... Example or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then it's just like, okay, that's the way I'm going to go. Yeah. yeah. And it's not only a blessing to the kids, but it's also a blessing to the sponsors. Our school, Foundation Christian School, is sponsoring one of the kids yeah. at one of the students at Hope of Bastion. And our students love that. Like, that's we got so a little cool. message from our, our sponsor child for um, in the last month or so. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just really cool to see our students. You know, they they know who he is, and they know about him, and they get to pray for him, and we're working on sending a gift to him, so it's really fun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that, too, because I think I just am really passionate about cross-cultural relationships, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I love, I think there's so much growth when different cultures interact, and I think you can see God's love for variety, and in like interacting with a different culture and you just learn more about like what's important in life when you get two cultures clashing then you're like well what is why what is the most important what things do we share in common and the things that we share in common are probably the most important things about humanity or oh that's beautiful Mm -hmm. it is beautiful and so I have one follow-up question what brings the students to your school if they're not looking for a Christian Most would say, like, Ecuador is a very Christian, like, in quotations, country. Okay. Like, very Catholic. They they like to think about what's good and what's moral. So a lot of them, and our school has been around now for... 25 years so it has a reputation in the community yeah wow (laughs) it's crazy um but it has a reputation for being like a good safe spot where the teachers care about the students where we like try to look after them and stuff so we have an application system where like every year the kindergarten students like we let in 20 kindergarten students we only have space for 20 kids in each classroom so we get like up to 60 applications oh, and wow. we have to choose only 20. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's, there's a lot of interest always. It's not hard to find kids right. obviously to fill the spaces. So then we have to make decisions based on need um, and proximity to the school. Cause we are a school that wants to. Um, community based. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yep, yeah. The community that's right around us. So that's important. And then also, like, if the family is a family that's, like, always moving, then we don't always let those kids into our school because we really want to be able to have them for those 10 years. Right. And, like, really build into them. So it goes right up to grade 10, grade 9? Yeah, grade 9. Grade 9. Yeah. And so what, like, is there a public school system in Ecuador? There is now. When it first started, there wasn't. And so that's one of the reasons why the missionary, Tim Horn, started the school. Yeah. Um, because these, this this neighborhood didn't have access to a good school system. Okay. So now there is a public school system, but it's not, I would say it's not very good. The ratio of like students to teachers is sometimes like 60 to one teacher. Oh, wow. Or 45 is more common. Okay. And then I hear so often, like I work with youth at the local church and so often they're like, yeah, I went to school today and the teacher didn't show up. So we just played Uno for the whole like, oh, wow. class period. 
<laughs> so it's a, it's just not a good system, and like right. drugs run rampant. Um, but they're so trying to put a system in place, but it's yeah. There's a system in place, but it's not quality education. Right. And our school isn't at the same quality. Like I'm hoping to go see this foundation school. Oh yes, um, come visit. But us. I also know, like, I'll go there and just be like, oh my goodness, our school is so <laughs> far behind. <laughs> so it's like it's better than than the public school, but still not at the same level, maybe. Right. But what a ministry. What an opportunity it is for you to pour ministry. into the lives of kids. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, and we see like a lot of our youth kids, a lot of the kids who come to the youth at the local church that Raul and I work at, come from the, the junior high students that we're reaching. And right. yeah. a lot of the kids who come to the, to the kids' ministry at our church are also from the school. So it's, it's very... I don't know. It is a very good platform. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. And so we will put links in the show notes. Like you will provide us hopefully with yeah. ways to learn more and know that more. That would be great. Yes. Because yeah. yeah. we are looking for more sponsors. Our yeah. school is like trying to grow a bit more and become more professional, more um, organized than what it has been. And to do that, we need to hire more staff, and so we need to expand our budget. Yes. <laughs> and so we're really looking for more sponsors that way, as well as these kids yeah. would yeah. love to have interactions with people from a different country. Yeah, it's a beautiful, love beautiful them. thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so you've told us a lot about your ministry. Um, I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about your family. So your husband's Raul, and you have a son. I have a son right? named Tiago. Yeah. which is like a, a variant of the name of James in Portuguese. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's two. He just turned two um, a few days ago. Oh, fun. Yeah, we're in the middle of potty training. <laughs> oh, fun. And that is like my least favorite stage of parenting, I think. Yeah, I, I was really nervous about it. It's going okay so far, That's but good. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we have another little boy on the way. And we're excited to meet him. And great. then we'll head back to Ecuador in August. Okay. Lord okay. willing. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. So we're going to uh, switch things up a little bit for this podcast. And we're going to actually start with uh, your brokenness to beauty story. So, mm-hmm. um, Jesse, can you tell us about a time in your life where you felt broken, but God turned it into something beautiful? Yeah. So, um, I am a person who I would describe as very anxious, or at least I used to be very, very anxious. Um, I grew up in a a country that was not always safe. There was so a lot Mexico, of Mexico, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So there was a lot of violence around. So my anxiety started when I started to get worried that someday I would get shot or stabbed, <laughs> and um, then that kind of just established a habit of worry. And I didn't always worry about getting murdered, <laughs> um, but I, I started worrying about just the future and yeah. and general things like that. And it was just kind of always in my life, but it really, really came to a head when I started dating Raul. Nothing against Raul. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. Um, but it just kind of was a time that made me really have to face the future, and that was always something I was anxious about. So I was deciding whether or not this guy was going to be part of my future for the rest of my life because I don't believe in divorce. (laughs) And that just seemed like a huge, really scary decision. Well, and you said you you went to Ecuador 
you said you wished that you would have had a husband before you went. Yes. So then that's a very, all of a sudden now, husband is in Ecuador. Yes, or the possibility of it. Right. um, Which is what I wanted. Um, But for some reason, anxiety really caught me in its grips. And as I started, like, worrying about, like, okay, is he right for me? Is he not? I don't want to play with his heart. Like, um... I started, it started, the anxiety then seeped into like all areas of my life. Mm. And I remember going, walking outside and there's always sun in Ecuador. (laughs) And I just felt like everything was gray and sad. And I just felt like life wasn't, I knew that I liked my life, but I wasn't really enjoying it, if Mm. that makes any sense. It does. And yet at the same time, I was like dating this guy who was wonderful it should have been a very exciting time. It should of life. have been. Yeah. But it was so stressful. Yeah. And so that's really where I see the brokenness. <laughs> because yeah. if I couldn't enjoy dating this wonderful man and like everything about him was great, but I was still feeling so like gross. Yeah. Then like something was wrong. Right. <laughs> and right. so I I I came to the realization that something was wrong and uh started to look for ways out mm-hmm. and tools because um, I really... You say ways out, you mean ways to get out of the anxiety. Out of the anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Just clarifying. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> yeah, ways to get out of the anxiety because I think it, it had taken me a while. Like I had always lived with anxiety and thought it was just the just way, part a of way it. of life. Mm. And it was just what I was always going to have to deal with. But when it came to a head like that where I was just like... I couldn't relax, like, ever. Um, It made me realize, okay, this can't keep going. (laughs) I can't keep living like this. So I have to find a way out. And that was when I came to the realization, like, I don't think this is the way God wants me to live. Mm. Like, I don't think he wants me to have this anxiety all the time. And so that was kind of, like, the beginning of, like, a little bit of hope. Mm. (laughs) And just, like, okay, if he doesn't want me to live like this then there's a way out. Mm -hmm. Right. And I guess, like, thinking back a little bit, like, kind of, like, some of the... I had a wrong view of who God was. And, like, I had grown up in a very legalistic bubble, like the missionary bubble that my parents worked in was kind of legalistic, and I also have a a perfectionist personality. And so I think both those things together just made me be like, life has to be perfect. And Mm. I have to do everything right. There's no room for mistakes. And kind of saw God as like like cracking a whip. Mm. (laughs) I knew that that wasn't the case. But it was the way I lived my life and felt like I had to try to do everything right. I only got one chance at life. Got to do it all right. And and kind of like the Christian has to strive and, and do things for God all the time. And eventually when you get to heaven, that's when you get your reward and that's when Mm. life is good. Mm. So I don't, nobody had taught me that. It was just for some reason, the way I thought about things. Well, and it's interesting because our, our view of God, our faulty view of God impacts our lives in very real and tangible ways. So you thinking that God, you know, cracks a whip or isn't, or is angry or Mm -hmm. maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. I hope I'm not, but like a judge. Yeah. Um, that impacts how we live our lives. And it doesn't have to be a conscious thing. Yeah. 
like that you are aware yeah, this is what I think of God you maybe hadn't even thought about that it was just well, it was it like was I there. knew that theology like he is a good God yeah and he gives good gifts and like I could have said that to mm-hmm. people but I didn't live my life like that you was. weren't experiencing mm-hmm. it yeah yeah and the weird thing is like I did experience a lot of goodness of God in my life I just didn't accept it or recognize it uh-huh so as you as you began to get tools and and like you say kind of see a path for the way out of your anxiety how did your view of God change I first it was like realizing that he didn't want me to live in anxiety Mm -hmm. which is kind of silly like (laughs) you should have just known but it was a huge thing for you it was when I was just like oh like if he doesn't want me to live this way then there's got to be a way out. And he, he's supposed to help me with a way out because yeah. he said that he I would. want a t-shirt that says that. And I want <laughs> it out on my wall. And like, cause that's, that's really good. Uh-huh. So can you say it again? I if he does, if, if, if he doesn't want me to be anxious, then there must be a way out. Yeah. And then he has to kind of, he must provide the way then because right. he knows there's that verse in the Bible that says he knows that we are dust. Mm-hmm. And so like, he understands that. And if this is my brokenness, then, and he says he knows how to fix it, then there should be a way. Mm-hmm. And so that was huge for me to like come to that realization. And then I think was when I slowly started realizing that he is good. Because like, if he's going to help me out of it, he's a good God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so as I was looking for tools, one of the huge things, just like the game changer for me, was reading Ann Voskamp's book, a Thousand Gifts. And... I don't remember exactly why I thought I should do it, but I think she struggled a lot with anxiety too. And so I was like, well, I'm grasping at straws here, but I will try this thousand gift um, thing. So I got a journal and started out writing, numbering every day in my gray, gray days and thinking like, okay, thinking back through my day, oh yeah, I saw a beautiful bird today. I saw a little child gave me this wonderful smile and hug. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Raul brought me flowers <laughs> or whatever. And so I started doing all these things that some of them weren't even that hugely significant, but I started recognizing these little tiny things as gifts that God had put in my life. And I didn't deserve them. They were just there. Mm-hmm. And it was just cause. Mm-hmm. I started to see him as a God who was like, just cause mm-hmm. I'm going to give you this. And that was really cool. And it was hugely changing for my life because I think I had thought he was a God who gave us just what we need to be able to do the job that he had given us to do. Hmm. But then I started seeing him as like, oh, he's like maybe more of a father (laughs) where he like gives extra stuff to make my job. Like I still have these jobs to do but to make it sweeter and more beautiful along the way. Mm -hmm. And when I started to recognize those things, and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I think my love for God started to grow mm. more because it was like, I don't know, more personal or I saw him as more tender and, yeah, ready to give me a fuller life than mm. what I had been living. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was just recognize that this stuff he had already given me. It's like all there in front of you. You just didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't name it. And I realized that naming things is so important. And so as I started making thankfulness more of a practice in my life, it actually started changing the way I was thinking. 
because I had been thinking so pessimistically about life. And I think even psychologists talk about like how ways that you think become like traveled pathways yes. in the neurons yes. in your brain. Yes. And so I found that thankfulness started to retrain my brain in a different way. And as I became more thankful, I became more joyful and able to see the goodness of God. And yeah, it was just really cool. It, it sounds like it was just this like, boom, all of a sudden I realized it, but it was, I would say about a, a year or two process. I think it took a year or two to get to the thousand gifts. Um, but then like a side note, <laughs> when I looked through, I think it was like a year in and I started looking back through this journal that I had and like more than half of the things I was thankful for all had to do with Raul. So then I was like, <laughs> if, if he's like one of the main reasons I have to be thankful in my life, why am I so concerned that he's not good for me? Especially mm. when I think of that verse, every good and perfect gift is from the Father, Father. Yeah. who does not change like the shifting shadows. And so then that, that helped me make my decision <laughs> about Raul um, and to marry him. But yeah, through that, I've just gained a greater appreciation for who God is mm -hmm. and don't struggle as much with anxiety. And um, it's been really good. I know, I guess, like thinking about this, I have a feeling I'll still struggle with anxiety in the future in other moments. Like, I still haven't learned what it means to trust God in like a horribly difficult situation. Like this was learning to trust God while I was dating like a really good guy. <laughs> um, so I know there's still other aspects of... But the beautiful thing is now you know that about the character of your father, about mm -hmm. the character of God. And so you can transfer that into other situations as they arise and know that yeah. he will be good then too and faithful and trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like, yeah, I'm a bit stronger that way. And well, and there's also something about the fact that it, it was in a beautiful situation that you were struggling. We we sometimes I think trick ourselves into thinking if only this and this and this and this were happening, then I would be fine. Right. But you were in that situation <laughs> and you still weren't fine. And exactly. so it's it's that you needed God and you needed un a good understanding of God. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's a very good point. <laughs> and wow, does that ever marry well with our topic? It's just so it amazing. Does. It's it so does. amazing. Because, yeah, our, our view of God impacts everything. Mm -hmm. Everything we do and think and who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesse, this is so good. I, <laughs> I'm so grateful yeah. for yeah. you sharing this. And it's kind of cool, like, when you talk about, like, the brokenness to beauty, like, I'm glad I went through that now. Like, I wish I could have gone through it more gracefully. <laughs> but I'm glad that that happened because it taught me this aspect of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I didn't know before. Yeah. And we're all on a journey and learning more about God. We'll never fully understand. Mm -hmm. But he's now made you intimately aware of, of his that goodness. Aspect. Yeah. Uh -huh. And yeah. What, a, what a beautiful thing to have. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It makes thinking about the future a little bit easier yeah <laughs> sure uh-huh well thank you very much for sharing your story um we like to to end every podcast interview with a few rapid fire questions about your favorite things uh so we're gonna do that now um jesse what's your favorite food i really like mexican food okay so i don't Spicy. know 
Spicy, <laughs> yep. <laughs> tacos, I love tacos. Okay, good. Do you have a favorite book? Are you a reader? Yes, I love Jane Eyre. I probably oh. read it like 10 times. <laughs> that is one of my very favorite books, too. It is too. such a good it's book. so good. Uh, do you have a favorite TV show? That's a hard one. I really like TV shows, but right now I can't think of a specific okay. one. Okay, nope. That's okay. That's okay. We don't need to promote any TV <laughs> Jane Eyre, read Jane Eyre. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, favorite product? Um, I really like my vacuum cleaner because <laughs> we've got one that cleans like hard floors and oh. that has made a huge difference in Ecuador because we have so much dust. Oh, and yes. so it like really helps me get my floor clean. Nice. And I love it. Nice. <laughs> you know you're married when uh-huh. you're very excited with cleaning products. <laughs> Do you have a favorite worship song? This story, I really like the Voice of Truth song by Casting Crowns. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was, that song was influential in like also my understanding of anxiety and like believing, choosing to believe truth over lies. And then right now I really, I just like Casting Crowns. Yeah. <laughs> Their song Nobody and Only Jesus are songs that I really like. Right. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yes. It's been lovely to get to know you and hear your story about um, just just your experience with God and how your view of God has has changed and just impacted your life in beautiful, beautiful ways. So thank you for that. It's been fun. Thank (laughs) you. It's time for our art piece. We're going on a journey this summer. We are learning, hopefully, to go a little deeper with understanding who God is and I thought for our art piece time we would journey um, a little bit into looking at cathedrals churches there is so much that has gone into the design and structure of churches buildings that we see every day Uh, and then of course the the much bigger basilicas and and those kind of churches so we're going to use for our art piece time just looking at churches and how they have been designed. And so for today, we're just going to look at one aspect of it. I have up on the screen, Shannon is uh, looking at with me a church. This is a church that's local to us. This church is in Arthur. It's called St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. So um, I invite you to look up this church or find one like it. And what I want to look at today are the windows. What can you tell me about these windows? So they are in the shape of an arch, but then they have um, different sections in the glass with circles and arches and a kind of flower shape on one of them. And and so when you look at that, like, does that look familiar to you? Have you seen a church like that before? Would um, you say, like, or have you even noticed? Like, no, I guess I haven't. So my my challenge to all of us is to start looking because these churches are in every little town that you go to. Churches, towns were built around churches. And and how far have we come from, you know, and we all know of churches that are no longer even functioning. But um, I want to celebrate this. I want to celebrate how God has moved in our midst and how um, everything, every little design is is full of purpose. So for today, windows. 
these windows they're called uh, tracery windows when you have these designs within designs and they were built out of uh, the need originally they didn't know how to make big glass and so they wanted to create bigger windows and the way to do that was to create smaller ones and and piece them together so but there, there's there's symbolism in that and the symbolism I want to point out is that there are is an order to things after the fall you know sin came into the world and and everything was in chaos and Christianity at its core is is to bring order back into that order that is ultimately done and accomplished through Christ on the cross but one of the things that uh Christ represents he he calls himself the light of the world he's referred to as the light of the world so a window in a church brought light into the interior and and if you go back in time the buildings wouldn't have had that kind that much light so it was a very big deal when windows came into being and so when we look at this particular window these light the lights and obviously you know there's more to that there's um there's design in actually each shape and in the stained glass that's there. All of that has has uh, purpose and meaning. But but the point is that for today that we're looking at is that church windows rise beyond functionality and they become signs representing the penetration of grace into the world. Isn't that a lovely thought? It is, yes. So for this summer, as we journey in getting to know God better, I invite you to look around your neighborhood as you're traveling, look for churches and look for some of these symbols that we're going to be looking at. thought we'd do something a little different during our teaching time for this podcast series since the book we're reading is very teaching oriented and you know we've already just discussed some aspects of theology during our book discussion it seems kind of redundant to talk about what the bible has to say about each topic so instead of a teaching time we're going to focus more on stories that illustrate the theological point Um, These are going to be stories from my own life or stories from literature. Um, Just stories have a way of communicating truth like nothing else can. And so I hope that's the case for uh, this segment of our podcast. Uh, To start, I'm going to talk about um, just a story from my own life. So during my childhood years, my family was conservative Mennonite. And this meant that I wore dresses all the time and... Uh, my hairstyle was two braids that fell over each shoulder and we didn't have a TV in our home. And although I looked different than all my friends, I don't really remember feeling very different, probably because I was so young. When I was in grade four, my family moved and I started at a new school. And it was during that transition that my mom cut her hair and we started wearing jeans. And I don't I don't remember what um, what was happening during that time, why my parents decided to leave the conservative Mennonite church. All I knew is I could cut my hair and I could wear pants. And this opened up a whole new world of possibility for me. Uh, we got a TV and I remember being so excited to get home from school to watch it. 
And even though I now looked like my friends, and in many ways we lived, you know, the same as as other families, there were still lots of, of rules that carried over into our new lives. And this was especially difficult for me as a teenager. Why couldn't I go to that school dance? And why couldn't I wear crop tops? And why couldn't I see that movie? And I pushed back against my parents' rules and I repeatedly asked, why? I don't remember ever getting a satisfactory answer or maybe, you know, I wasn't just, I just wasn't listening. But I do know that I began to connect the rules to God. And God seemed to have far too many rules for my liking. Being a Christian was a big list of thou shalt nots to me. And I didn't understand who God was and and I didn't really know that I could have a personal intimate relationship with him. My view of God, my theology, as we've been talking about, was limited and downright faulty. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s when I began to really read the Bible for myself that my eyes were open to the reality of who God is. I began to understand his power and his sovereignty, his holiness and goodness, his love and grace. And for the first time that I can remember, I began to understand that he actually wanted a real relationship with me. My understanding of who God is changed from an angry judge, ready to pounce on me for messing up, to a loving father who designed boundaries within which I could grow and flourish. God didn't change, but my perspective of him did. In other words, my theology began to line up with the truth of scripture. And so that's just the story of of my own journey and how my theology, my view of God, my perspective of him has changed over the years. And I just want to, to ask you that same question. How has your view of God changed throughout your lifetime? How has he corrected some faulty thinking? What you now understand, what do you now understand about the character of God that you didn't understand before? It's good to to just take a moment and reflect on how our theology has become deeper and richer and more accurate as God has grown us. May we all desire to see him more clearly and worship him more passionately. Amen and amen. That is what we are hoping for in this podcast episode series that we're going to work through and and beyond that, we are just praying for that in our own lives and in, in the lives of those who are listening, that if there is an aspect of God's character that we have misunderstood, we pray that we would come to understand truth, seeking that truth of who he is and how how he is shaping our lives, whether we're aware of it or not. We want to base that on truth. So we hope you'll join us for this series on fixing our eyes on 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 God, on Christ. There is going to be a lot. It's going to be it's going to be deep. It's going to be heavy, but we're going to be with you. We're going to walk along and we are really hoping that you'll be challenged and encouraged. We want to thank Jesenia 
so very much for joining us today. It has been a privilege to hear from her, hear her story, and hear more about what's going on in her life in Ecuador too and how she's ministering to so many there. We're so grateful for her and Raul and what they're how they're serving. So um, please uh, reach out to her if you want to know more about what's going on there. So we're going to end, and for our um, our prayer for this series, I thought as opposed to a prayer, it's sort of, I want to read a passage that is more of a an encouragement, an admonition, more big words, but, but really just a, a challenge as we go forth. And it's basically, it's really what the book is based on. So I'm going to close by reading Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 as a challenge to all of us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you for listening to the Mosaic Podcast, a podcast for the women of Wallenstein Bible Chapel, where we meet one another in story, in art, and in Christ. You can subscribe by going on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast so that you will be notified when the next show drops. Also, please be sure to check out our show notes for more details and join in the conversation on either Facebook at mosaic.podcast.wbc or on Instagram at mosaic.podcast. We pray that you will be inspired and encouraged as you travel your own personal journey from brokenness to beauty.